Today's guest on Jumping Around is trainer Richard Valentine. He's based in Virginia. You probably know him best as the trainer of Demonstrative, champion steeplechaser of 2014 and a horse who earned almost a million dollars over jumps. We get a chance to talk to Richard about how he got into racing, some of the early people he worked for in America and Ireland, and uh, just learn a little bit more about what it takes to uh, train a stable of steeplechase horses. Uh, we're here on Jumping Around with Richard Valentine, a steeplechase trainer based in Virginia, and uh, I know you just told us, we'll start with the weather. It's raining finally as the season winds down. I know you guys probably wanted some rain for your gallops earlier in the spring. Actually, we've had a, a ton of rain here. Uh, I think we'd like a few dry days so they could make some hay around here. Uh, but uh, no, we've been lucky with the weather this year. Uh, the last couple of days, it's been dry and windy and you know, it, the ground tightens up pretty quickly this time of year. So you hear that, uh, fans, steeplechase trainers are farmers. They want to make hay, do a little bit of everything. So <laughs> you got to be well, multi-talented. They make the hay where we gallop. So uh, we need our gallop back. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show. And, uh, you know, the, the, the point of this is to let people know uh, a little bit about some of the people who play the game and from your side, everybody starts somewhere. How, how did you get into steeplechasing and you know, how long have you been doing it? Um, the story goes, I was out to lunch with my great aunt in Philadelphia and saw a police horse and my family's not horsey at all. I guess I became a little annoying child and ran outside and instead of my great aunt getting angry, uh, she bought me some riding lessons for my birthday. And then we moved to Unionville where my parents got divorced and we ended up moving to George Osborne's place. And he hunted with Brandywine and did a lot of point to pointing. And I was next door neighbors to the cousin's family and Barry Watson's mother. So there was a lot of point to pointing, but strictly timber racing um, that they all did. And so that was my first introduction was the Delaware Valley Point to Point Association. Wow, that's great. So no horse background in your family at all? Nope, nope. Everybody starts somewhere. I love it. Uh, yeah, and in our game, most of it's family family connections or family traditions. So that, that's kind of fun. Well, exactly. I mean, I, I think having the last name Valentine in this sport didn't hurt, but <laughs> I was no relation to the famous Valentine. <laughs> I love it. So, uh, you know, did you ride some pony races or fo and fox hunting certainly would have been part of it? I did. I did a lot of hunting. I pony club, uh, rode, um, with cousins, pony suspense story a couple times and, uh, rode in the junior race, um, uh, at Cheshire. And, uh, yeah, I, I put my hand up and say I wasn't very brave. <laughs> I enjoyed it, but I, I, I didn't want to make a living out of being a rider. And uh, so then the first, everybody, again, you started somewhere, that, that gives you a little bit of a taste of it, to uh, the first job you had in, in racing or in steeplechasing. My first job was when Billy Meister was leaving Patty Miller and Jeff Cedar at EQB to go work for Mrs. Fanning. Um, I had just been at my D Pony Club rally at Fair Hill and got a call from Patty Miller to come um, work for them during the summer. And uh, I think I was probably 13 or 14. Wow. And uh, I just remember Billy picking me up and taking me out all the way to the other side of Dayton. And that was the first job. Uh, they were big into the gait analysis and the heart rate monitor and trying to get all that, the science of what they were trying to 
accomplish. Um, I think it was the early days of EQB. Yeah, which has got to be a fascinating introduction to a 13, 14-year-old. Uh, yeah, it was. And <laughs> Patty Miller was like, <laughs> you, you, you did things properly, you know, she wanted the job done properly. And if you didn't, you, you heard about it very quickly <laughs> and abruptly. And do uh, you remember the first racehorse you worked with? First race? Uh, I think I worked with uh, George Osborne. Had, oh, yeah, he uh, had a couple, yeah. They're called Two Hearts that he ran in the Brandywine Old Fashioned. That's the first recollection of me going to the races and sort of helping out. Wow. And uh, from there, I know you eventually ended up at Mrs. Fanning's and would have been another very good foundation to, to becoming a trainer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she was terrific. Uh, actually, I was very good friends with Minnie Fanning. And, um, you know, I always had a tremendous amount of respect for uh, Mrs. Fanning's stable of timber horses. Because at that point, I didn't really... Timber racing was the only thing that interested me. And so I was very lucky. I actually worked for Johnny Rusty for a bit and then ended up going to Mrs. Fanning after. And uh, what timber horses would have been there when you started? Oh, well, Cam Cottage was still there, but he was he was a hunter. Um, she sort of was Michael Trarg. You know, the horses were Mikey had a few of them. She was sort of slowing down um, at that stage. Um, none of the, you know, Freeman's Hill was show jumping when I was there. Um, I can't really even remember. I don't. She didn't have a real standout when I was with her, but um, the connections that she made for me were invaluable. Um, I, when I left school, she organized me to go work for Chris Ryan, uh, who was the master of the Scarteen Hunt, and I did that for a year. And then I came back and worked for Mrs. Fanning again, and then I went to work for Mel Smores, who trained her horses and Mrs. Valentine's horses in Ireland. So at one point, they would they would have probably 15 horses between the two of them in training over there. So it's pretty exciting to be connected with those. Yeah, I mean, Mel Smores' yard would have been a, one of the top yards in Ireland to be associated with. Yeah, I, I mean, he had a phenomenal stable of owners. Um, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber, Robert Sangster. The Magners, it was sort of a who's who of racing. And and uh, help us figure out the timetable. When would this have been? What year would you have been there? So, so I, that would have been 89. <laughs> now we're going to need an 80 for real. 1989? Yeah, eight, 89 and 90 was. So 89, 88, 89, I was with Scar and then I was home for a year. So then I went, it was probably 90, 91 gotcha. was the first year. And you would have graduated high school no, in 87. 87. Okay. So not that long before that. Wow. And yeah. uh, so at, at Mouse Morris's, and well, even the Irish racing and hunting in general, uh, that's got to be another great sort of stepping stone to learning all of this about horses and training and everything. It's such a part of their culture, you know, um, growing up, living in the village there, uh, uh, everyone knew, you know, they were in the betting shop. People knew what horses were running. They knew the form of all of them. Um, it's just, you know, it's as big as football over here. And it's very, it was an eye-opener to me to go watch racing, having the soup and the sandwich uh, during lunch, 
in the pub and being able to watch racing on a Saturday and Sunday like you're watching the NFL. Um, and I was very lucky. Mrs. Fanning had a stable full of hunters there. Um, and she asked me this huge favor if I would keep her horses hunted hunted so when she came over they wouldn't be so fresh and she would give me a car so i could get to the meet and uh ben trying to tell the people that i really wasn't related when i just arrived to the meet and kick my leg out and go hunting for the day it was pretty hard but she was a great lady very very yeah talk, talk about opportunity yeah that's fantastic yeah yeah and you know what i mean she taught me you know i think one thing about the jump racing game over here if you're Someone young coming into it, there's a certain amount of manners you have to learn. Even if you're not learning them at home, you're going to the races and it's just, I don't know, you kind of, it's a good education. I think horses and horse people really, I mean, it can be detrimental to some people, but I I think that the steeplechasing is a good foundation. You know, it's a true old sport and people take a lot of pride in it. And I think it rubs off if you, if you're really into it. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, you're gonna pick up stuff along the way. You're gonna find things that you take pride in, and 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 try to yeah. emulate people who do do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so the the what a, a day's day's racing in Ireland for somebody who's never been back back when you're there with Mouse Morris. Uh, what would a day's racing been like with horses? So, so you're in the barn going racing. Well, so we would go to the yard, and usually the first lot was usually around eight fifteen, eight twenty, because it's still dark then, and. Uh, We'd usually ride, so if I was going racing for the day, I'd ride one lot out and then up in the truck. And that was before they built the fancy motorway. And, you know, if you were going to Leopardstown, it was an awful drive in the lorry all the way up to Leopardstown. Um, but when you got there, you know, for me, picking up the steeplechase books and reading about the history over here and people that have come over and then you know you you dream about racing in in Europe particularly England and Ireland and so then I went the first time I was just sort of amazed that you know um it felt like I was in the mecca of horse racing you know yeah yeah it's and like it's, a baseball player going baseball little league or going to Yankee Stadium or somewhere yeah exactly exactly Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, so obviously you make your way back from Ireland and uh, did you come back to work for Mrs. Fanning and, and where, you I know, did. I did, I did. But then that's when I, I came home from Mouse's one year and I started working for Mrs. Bird and she had a Tizzo for Mrs. Mr. Orstrom. And he had just, I think he had had two years off cause he broke down very badly for Mr. Cox and, so that's, <clears throat> I started riding out for her. And I mean, she's just talk about another person. And I learned more from her in a short period of time than anybody I worked for. Oh. I, she was just incredible. Wow. Like and, what? Horsemanship stuff or just? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, again, she'd let you know if you did something wrong <laughs> and uh, she could fly off the handle pretty quickly. But just everything was done really old fashioned. I guess maybe I'm, I'm just used to old ways and I'm interested in history. And, you know, we'd sit there and she'd tell me stories about Count Stephen running in the Hunt Cup wow. and then being Green Confirmation Champion at Devon, which I, I couldn't put my head around that a horse could run over timber and then go showing. And 
it just showed the type of horse person she was and her dogs did these amazing tricks and, <laughs> and she told a great story oh that's but, for sure um, some days you could just tell by the look in her eye that it was going to be a very long uh, <laughs> nerve-wracking day <laughs> <laughs> no those are those uh yeah you you picked uh two winners to get some experience there mrs fanning and uh betty bird for sure yeah exactly uh, and then you mentioned Mr. Orsham. Is that where the relationship started with the Orsham's family to, uh, you know, yes. to, to, to do yeah. what you're doing so, now? So Mike Elmore was rode Tizzo, and I went to the races and met. Uh, he ran a couple times. I think he ran at the Middleburg Point to Point, and then he ran at the Georgetown Meet at Marvin Park. And he won both of them very impressively. And I think it was sort of Mrs. Bird's kind of last proper horse. And then, you know, he was injured and got held up. And I went back to Ireland and Mrs. Bird was very, very angry with me. Um, I went back to work for Mouse again. Um, but then when I came back that summer, we tried to get Tizzo back to the races. But uh, Mike Gilmore, who was training for Mr. Ostrom at the time, he decided he wanted to leave. And uh, Mrs. Bird said to him, George Orson wants to interview you for a job, and I don't know why. <laughs> um, yes, she so did. that's how the connection was made. I, I think, actually, in fairness, she put my name up. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking so. she knew exactly why I wanted to interview you. She just wanted to make sure yeah. you were in your place a little bit. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that was in uh, the September of 96 is when I came down here. Wow. Uh, yeah, and here is Whitewood Farm in the Plains, Virginia, yeah. which might be one of the prettiest spots on earth to train a racehorse. Uh, it's incredible. And uh, that's why when I came down here, I thought, there's no way I'm going to get this job. And I came home and I was sharing a house with a friend, Joe Cassidy, and he said, uh, how was it? And I said, I'll never get the job, but I had a great lunch. <laughs> <laughs> and, but you, and you've been there ever since. I've been there ever since, and it's just... It, you know, Mr. Orsham, all I wanted to do was win the Hunt Cup. So basically the first five years, four years, all I had were timber horses. And uh, then we slowly, Mr. Orsham wasn't a fan of hurdling, but um, he was a very, he thought more about the future than he thought about himself. And he said, well, if you're going to make it, you really need to get some hurdle horses. And so he bought a couple hurdle horses for me to train which again was something that he didn't like to do because he had all these homebreds and uh yeah it just took off from there he let me have a couple outside horses and then um yeah just when he passed away uh the outside we we had quite a few outside horses and his children decided that they'd like for me to stay here but they wouldn't be supporting the racing like their father did and um, slowly they went through their horses and they didn't really get back. They sold the mares and got out of the breeding. But but we're still here and it's a fantastic place to train. And the Orstroms are a fantastic family to train for and, and to work for. Um, I don't have to worry. I'm, I'm spoiled. I don't have to worry about making the payroll and because and putting the truck in the shop. It's just it's that hassle is totally removed from me and I can concentrate on the horses. 
Yeah, and there's been plenty of uh, there's been some nice horses run through there for sure. You ended up winning yeah. probably well not for Mister Orstrom, but you won the Maryland Hunt Cup twice with horses yeah. he played a big role in. Yep, absolutely, and absolutely. Uh, Michelle Marieschi was the first, correct? Yep, yep, and he, he um, that was a horse that Mister Orstrom bought for me to run over hurdles. I bought him as a three year old. Wow! I just thought he was the most beautiful horse I'd ever seen, and I bought him as a three-year-old, and when Mr. Orson passed away, I think he was probably nine by then. He, you know, he was a big horse, and he just had some soundness issues. So going through the horses, I recommended that maybe he would be a better point-to-pointer than anything, and we should sell him. And George Hunt was looking for a horse to go timber racing. He bought the horse, left left him with us, and... Uh, then he goes and wins the Hunt Cup, and it was the one race Mr. Orstrom wanted to win, and it really showed Mrs. Orstrom's character. She could have gotten very angry and taken all of her toys and left the sandbox, but um, she wasn't too thrilled when I said he won, and then <laughs> she called me back a half an hour later and said, I think I want to have a party for George and Alex um, to celebrate them winning the Hunt Cup, and you know we never looked back, and mm. then... In the meantime, I had bought Professor Maxwell from Janet Elliott for George Hunt. And George and he just didn't, they didn't click. He was a tricky horse. So when George decided he had had enough of Professor Maxwell and it just wasn't a good fit, Mrs. Orstrom bought him. And then she won her Hunt Cup with his horse. So it's kind of a Yeah, a it came story. around. Yeah. yeah. Mr. Orstrom got his Hunt Cup just sort of uh, a little bit backwards, you know. Exactly. Exactly. And then, um, obviously, the horse everybody associates with you is demonstrative, and uh, yeah. you know, a horse you bought bought as a three year old over in England, and uh, yeah. you know, developed into one of the best we've seen in in the last ten years or so. And I had to do a little homework. He won seven Grade Ones, which might hit yeah. home a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what well, made him good? I, I mean, people had a people had a blast watching him. But what made him such a good horse? I think his his attitude. He just was classy. You know, everything about him, um, you know, we were talking about it recently that when he was fit and ready to run, we could take him up to school him. And we always have to sort of switch around and he'll sit there and graze the whole time. And the horses are, you know, go up over the hurdles, racing up over the hurdles. And he'd just pick his head up, keep chewing. And as soon as I jumped the last hurdle, he'd drop his head back down and start grazing. But <laughs> nothing. Nothing faced him, but then he, you know, in the early in his career, he was quite keen, and it was just funny because he wasn't a. I mean, he could take a nice pull at home, um, but I think you could just tell his eye and just his whole mannerisms. He just was pure class, you know. Oh um, sure. Yeah. I don't know. I remember working the sales for Russell Jones and. It just stuck in my head. We were all nervous because Vincent O'Brien and Mr. Magna were coming up. And I remember getting a little bit deer in the headlights. And Emily Jones said, oh, Richard, this is easy. It'll be an all show. But Vincent O'Brien knows what he likes when they walk out. And if he doesn't like them, they turn around and walk right back in. And I thought, how can he do that? And then I remember Demonstrative walked out. And I was like, okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you just hope nobody else saw what you saw. Yeah. 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 And he's I mean, I'm he's not comparing myself to Vincent O'Brien, but no, I no, I know what you mean. 
that always stuck in my head, you know, how do you know? You just do. Yeah. Yeah. And he's retired on the farm. What does, what does he do these days? He has been retired. It'll almost be a full year here. Uh, he is leaving on Wednesday to go to Camden. I have four young horses in Camden that need a lead horse. <laughs> so um, I don't really have anything. You know, everything else has been running. They deserve a break. And we decided we'd give him some time off. But now he really wants to get back to work. So he's, he and I will be driving down to Camden on Wednesday. He'll be a good role model. That, that'll work. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so, and you mentioned the, um, you know, the outside clients and things that have come in there. And obviously, Mrs. Orstrom still owns several horses with you. And I, I know there's a few others. Uh, Mrs. Orstrom's sister, Maggie Bryant, is certainly. Uh, oh, yeah, but that's actually Mr. Orstrom's, uh, Mr. Orstrom's sister. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And and again, but the extension of that family, she just won a, you know, like a, the one of the top five steeplechases in the world in France. And the, the, yeah. the impact of that is, is pretty amazing from the little but, corner of Virginia. She is, she is so well known in French racing. Um, it, it just, it's pretty amazing. I went to Deauville last year and stayed in her place. Um, the press clippings everywhere. They, they color the, the woman in the red chapeau because she always wears a red hat. And, um, but, you know, Mr. Ostrom himself, um, he, the French connection was very strong. Um, you know, the old books, um, Mr. Ostrom had sort of like a pocket diary of all of his horses that was printed up and we all got a copy of it. And um, looking back at the ones from like the 70s, he probably had 50 to 60 horses in training in France wow. in the 70s and 80s. And and I know their father had a big connection with French racing. Um, yeah, they're, they're a really incredible family because they're quite pri- private. And then, you know, I worked here for a long time. I, I never knew they owned the Chronicle of the Horse or Victory Racing Plates. You know, everything was just sort of, you know, it, yeah, they're just... Yeah, they're a very private family, but their their connections and their roots run deep in the sport. Yeah, and you can tell the horses matter, which is which is all anybody wants to know, which is fantastic. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you're headed to Camden, and then uh, have you got a few steeple traces run this summer? People get a chance to watch some more. Yeah, we do. We have we have three for three or four for Saratoga, and then um, we just. I don't know what happened. We had a nice stable of maidens. It just, you know, between the weather and, you know, just little things that happen along the way. I, I thought we'd have a couple more qualified, but, but that's all right. It's a long year and they can have a break and come back in the fall. Um, the fall is going to be pretty short season. So I'd like to think I'd have them ready early and uh, hopefully we can continue with all this rain. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it's horse racing. We know no, we know nobody really knows what's going to happen. But uh, exactly. Thanks a lot for your time and um, and uh, best of luck with the horses. Give the monster of his big pat for us, and uh, <laughs> we'll see you on the circuit somewhere. All right. Thank you. Thank thanks. you. Take care. Bye. Jumping around is a production of thisishorseracing.com, a source for original content about thoroughbred racing from the Steeplechase Circuit, Fair Hill, Saratoga, the Mid Atlantic, and more. 
This edition was recorded and produced at Howling Wolf Recording Studio in Baltimore, Maryland. Special thanks to Charlie Fenwick, our listeners and guests. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes by searching for This Is Horse Racing.